Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, So good to be with you, if that's what this is called, uh, being with you this morning, uh, gathering around God's Word again uh, this morning. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18 this morning. We're going to continue our our series on the book of Philippians. And as we look at this passage, I hope that it becomes apparent for us uh, that that this passage is, is one that is primarily concerned with how we view our circumstances, our perspective on the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And we've mentioned time and time again as we've been in Philippians that this is a book that is overflowing with this theme of joy. Paul is repeatedly calling on the church in Philippi to respond with joy. He's also expressing or showing how he also is overflowing with joy as an example. And this morning is actually the perfect example of that second thing, of Paul expressing joy. Paul is giving the church in Philippi this update on how ministry is going for him, and he exudes this joy even in this most difficult and challenging situation. And as we find ourselves in this situation of COVID-19 and social distancing, I just think that this passage is immensely helpful for us this morning. Paul is writing from prison as he writes this letter, and he's intentional about looking at how God is at work in spite of his circumstances, how God continues to be at work in spreading the gospel in spite of the fact that Paul is suffering in this moment. So as we turn our attention to this book, I want us to ask ourselves this question that no matter what our situation is this morning, what about us? What about us? Can the same attitude, the same perspective that we see from Paul, can that be true of us this morning? All of us are facing vastly different circumstances this morning, aren't we? Some of us have been laid off. Our future jobs are, are uncertain. Others of us, we have seen actually our workloads and, and the stresses that come with that, they've actually increased. Many of us find ourselves in a spot where we are now responsible for the homeschooling of our children, and that's a daunting task, one that we feel very ill-equipped for. And, and many of us are, are, are restless and longing for this return to some semblance of normalcy. And still others of us, we might feel a little bit guilty. We might feel a little guilty because all things considered, things are going really well for us, and we look at how things are going for other people, we see the news, and we think, well, maybe I should just be quiet because things are actually quite good for me. Now, no matter our circumstances, we find ourselves in this very unique time. And as we consider this passage this morning, we have to ask ourselves a question. We have to ask, is it possible? Is it possible for God to use our circumstances right now to do something in our lives, to do something in the lives of those who are around us that would not have been possible without these unique and challenging circumstances? In other words, Is it possible that God can use our circumstances not as a stumbling block for the spread of the gospel, but instead as a stepping stone for the growth of your faith and for the advance of the gospel in your spheres of influence? And that's what this uh, passage is is really wrestling with, is asking this morning, is is what is our perspective on our circumstances? We're going to see here, as we, as we jump into this text, we're going to see that, that Paul looks at his circumstances, 
And, and as dire as they may be, there's a lot of uncertainty about what is coming for Paul because of his, his circumstances. But Paul concludes that these circumstances are, are not a stumbling block. They're not a hindrance to the spread of the gospel. But actually, God is using them as a stepping stone to advance the gospel in a way that Paul never could have imagined, that we never could have thought would have taken place without Paul's imprisonment. So let's go ahead and dive into our text, Philippians chapter 12, or excuse me, Philippians 1, uh, verse 12. And as we look in this passage, uh, we'll, we'll notice that, that Paul's perspective here really is, is crucial as he assesses his circumstances. Before we jump into our passage, let's pause for a moment of prayer. Please pray with me. Father, we uh, give thanks for your word. We rejoice that your word uh, gives us all that we need for life and godliness. God, we ask that you would use this text here in Philippians chapter 1, that you would use the example of the Apostle Paul this morning as we consider his example, and you would use it to help us increasingly become gospel people, that we would be people who are convicted by his example, and that we would begin to be intentional about looking at all of life, especially the seasons that are hard and challenging for us. God, we would look at those things with a confidence that you are at work, and God, that you would give us eyes to see how you might use us right now in our circumstances. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, confident that you hear us. Amen. All right, so as we approach Philippians 1, let me remind us briefly of the context. Paul is writing from Rome. He is actually in prison. Before this moment, he actually was arrested in Jerusalem, spent two years in prison in Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast in modern-day Israel. And now he has been sent to Rome, and he spent about a year or two in a Roman prison. And in the midst of this, the church in Philippi, one of these churches that Paul has planted on one of his missionary journeys, they hear about his imprisonment and they understandably become very, very concerned about about him. Can you blame them? After all, Paul is this man who has written nearly half of the books in the New Testament. He's planted churches throughout Europe. He's planted churches throughout Asia Minor. He's broken the barrier and brought the gospel from not just the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And this grief the church in Philippi is feeling, it's, it's very real in this moment. Paul, he's planted churches for decades, including their church in Philippi. And we see in other letters in the New Testament, that Paul actually longs to go to Spain. He wants to go to a place where the gospel hasn't gone yet. He wants to bring the gospel to to other people that haven't heard about Jesus yet, and he longs to go to Spain, and, and now he finds himself in this place where his future is uncertain. We actually don't even know if, if death is a, is a possibility, if it's a likelihood for him. And the church in Philippi, they send him this gift because they're not quite sure if this is the end of, of Paul's ministry. And so they collect this, this love offering for the Apostle Paul, and they send it with one of their members to, uh, to Rome to, to bring to him, uh, to meet his needs, and to really just take care of him. And, and the book of Philippians is a response to that gift. It's, it's Paul's response to them saying thank you, giving them an update on, on his life, on his ministry, how, how God is still at work. And then also giving them a couple charges on how they can live as they find themselves in a season of suffering. 
Last week, we looked at the beginning of this book, verses 1 through 11. We saw Paul's prayer of, of thanksgiving and also one of petition for the church in Philippi. And this morning, we actually, as we look at verse 12, we see Paul's updates on his life and on his ministry and, and how things are going for him. So verse 12, I want you to um, follow along if you have a Bible. It says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, don't let your familiarity with those verses rob you of the, the shock from a first-time reading of these words. Here's the church in Philippi, and they are writing to Paul. They're deeply concerned for him and his ministry that it's, it's coming to an end, that, that the shackles of Rome have now finally shackled the, the, the gospel from going forth, and Paul writes back to them, and what is his response? Well, he basically says this, hey, thanks so much for your concern, everyone. I really appreciate how you've been working in Philippi, how you've, you've expressed that concern for me here. But as I begin to, to reflect on, on what God is doing right now in this imprisonment of mine, as I've been first imprisoned in Caesarea for a couple years, now I've been imprisoned here in Rome. As I begin to reflect on that, I've concluded God is doing something here as well. In fact, contrary to what I might have expected, contrary to this moment, my imprisonment, hindering the gospel message, God has actually used my imprisonment to advance the gospel in a way that I would have otherwise thought impossible. That's Paul's words right here in verse 12, thanks for your concern, but I actually want you to know this isn't a bad thing. God, God is, his work isn't stopped. In fact, God is using this in an incredible way right now. Paul's words here are just absolutely unthinkable, at least from a, a purely pragmatic perspective. Let me, let me explain that. What is more likely to produce a greater impact for the spread of the kingdom of God in Paul's life. For Paul to be imprisoned in Rome, stuck in a house under house arrest, or for Paul to be able to plant churches throughout the Roman Empire, traveling freely, visiting these churches, preaching to large crowds, defending the gospel message in synagogues, raising up church leaders in all of these different places where he has planted churches. Which of these will produce more gospel fruit? And as we look at it, we say, well, surely it's the second, right? Surely Paul's freedom will produce more gospel fruit. And that, uh, to be fair, that, that's Paul's desire. Verse 19 makes that very clear. He says this, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, this imprisonment, will actually turn out for my deliverance. So Paul actually, he longs to be free. There's nothing wrong with that. He's praying toward that. He's encouraging other people to pray that he would no longer be imprisoned. And yet, while he finds himself in this moment, in these circumstances, he does not despair. But instead, 
Rather than waiting for his circumstances to change, he recognizes that God is still in charge. And he recognizes that God cares far far more about changing the person you are than he does about changing your circumstances. God is far more concerned with your obedience in the moment than he is about what is next, where is next for you. Where does that perspective come from? It's four words in verse 16. I want to read those to you. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. What are the four words? I am put here. I am put here. If we do not understand those four words, then we will completely miss everything else in this passage. You see, Paul's perspective here on his suffering, it doesn't come from this martyr mentality where suffering is actually a good thing for me. It doesn't come from this false sense of barato that he's just looking at, at, at his situation through rose-colored glasses for the sake of, of the Philippians. No, Paul fundamentally believes with every fiber of his being that this place, this imprisonment, this house that he is arrested in, that this is God's plan for him. That God wants him right here in this location. And he believes God does not make mistakes. He believes that God doesn't want him in Spain planting churches like Paul's desire. At least not right now. No, God wants him right here in this prison cell, shackled to this Roman guard. And if God has put him here, those four words, I am put here, If God has put him here in this moment, then that means that God has work for him to do. Work that Paul otherwise would not be able to do. Now what about you? Do you have this same mentality? Can you say the same thing as Paul? I am put here. This pandemic uh, has stuck many of us at home a lot more. Do you believe that God has put you there for a reason? Perhaps you have, have lost your job due to, the, due to the pandemic. Do you believe that God has allowed you to enter that season of uncertainty for a purpose? College students, you're missing out on the, the last part of your semester with friends. Do you believe that God has put you here with your family for a reason? Middle school, high school, elementary students, the same is true for you. You might be longing to, to see your friends, to, to engage in, in school activities, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Remember, verse 19, we see that Paul is praying for the end of his circumstances. And yet, do you believe that God has put you there with your family for a purpose. You see, everything that Paul says in this passage, it hinges on those four words. They permeate every single thing that Paul says. They're the key to this perspective of Paul that allows Paul not only to endure his circumstances, but actually to find joy in them. That's what we see in verse 18. That Paul can can look at his circumstances, the situation that he finds himself in, and because he has confidence that this has come from God's hand, 
that God has a plan, that God has a purpose for him, even in this moment that he can say, yes, I will rejoice. What about you? You see, that's our our first takeaway from this passage this morning. Perspective allows us to see God at work, no matter our circumstances. Perspective allows us to see God at work, no matter our circumstances. If you have this perspective that Paul has right here, that God doesn't make mistakes, and that includes your current situation, then you will also conclude that your current situation is not a stumbling block, but it's a stepping stone. It's an opportunity for you to be faithful to Jesus. So yes, absolutely pray for deliverance for the end of this season, just as Paul did. But as you are praying, also look for ways that God might use your circumstances for the spread of his kingdom. Paul gives us two examples of how God is at work in his hardship as Paul has reflected on his suffering. And I just want to be real. Paul has been in prison for about a year, maybe even longer than that, just in Rome. Before that was two years in Caesarea. He has had time to reflect on his circumstances. We don't know how long it took for Paul to reach this conclusion. So give yourself a little bit of grace, but also be intentional about reflecting on your circumstances and ask the question, how might God use this moment? How might God be at work in my hardship? Paul gives us two examples. Uh, Let's look at both in turn. First, verse 13 says this, So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So here is Paul, and he's looking at his imprisonment, and he concludes this is actually a good thing, that God is doing something that he could not have done. And the first thing that God is doing is that God is using his circumstances for unexpected evangelism. God is using Paul's circumstances for unexpected evangelism. Isn't it just astounding how God works? It's absolutely astounding here. For Paul, he has expressed for years this longing to go to Rome. About five years before this moment, Paul wrote the book of Romans that we have in our Bibles. And this is how he starts his letter to the church in Rome. It says this, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I might reap some harvest among you, as well as among the Gentiles. You catch Paul's heart there? Paul longs with every fiber of his being to go to Rome to preach. Rome is the capital of the entire world. It's the heart of civilization on earth. And Paul is constantly praying that the gospel would would take root in Rome, that it would transform hearts and lives in the capital city. And he longs to go to Rome so that God could use him to proclaim his gospel. Because Paul is confident that the word of God will transform lives even in Rome. Now fast forward five years later. Paul's prayers are answered, aren't they? Paul longed to 
at last come to Rome, and now he is in Rome. It's not at all the way that Paul expected. He will not be preaching in synagogues. He will not be defending the gospel in the open air. Instead, he's chained to a Roman guard. And this Roman guard, according to the context here, he's actually chained to him. Probably about 12 to 18 inches worth of chain. He's chained to this person. And yet, rather than begrudging his circumstances, Paul concludes that while he is chained to this Roman guard, the inverse is also true. That this guard is chained to him. And he wants to make sure that those guards know why. The Imperial Guard is this elite group of Roman soldiers. Actually, um, you look at Roman history, the, uh, the, the province of Italy, modern-day Italy roughly, it was illegal for there to be a Roman army there. That was a part of, of the agreement between the Roman Senate and, and Caesar. And yet, one of the ways that the Caesar got around that was actually by having his um, imperial guard. It was a group of bodyguards. It was basically his uh, personal army. It was about 9,000 people uh, or, or more. Was, these were those who responded or answered directly to Caesar. And a regiment of them would be rotating through Paul's quarters, taking turns guarding him on four to six hour shifts. And so every four to six hours, Paul would have a new guard who would stand watch over him. And Paul, rather than seeing his circumstances as this hindrance for the gospel, realizes, recognizes that every four to six hours, he has a new person and a new opportunity to share the gospel with someone. And he's not going to lose out on that opportunity. Not only that, not only is Paul evangelizing these, these guards, but he's also displaying the fruits of the gospel in his life. These guards would have seen Paul being patient and kind and gentle and persevering. They would have seen Paul at work with the Roman Christians who came to visit him in prison. They would have seen Paul explain the gospel to these Roman Christians. They would have, they would have seen Paul express thanksgiving for these impossible circumstances, and even for the Roman guards that are with him. There would have been a Roman guard right next to Paul as he's writing these words. As Paul gives thanks for these men who have imprisoned him. You see, here's, here's Paul's perspective. He recognizes that these Roman guards, they're not the type of people who would voluntarily show up on their own to come to one of his, his teachings in the synagogue. These aren't the type of people who come to a prayer meeting. And yet, he also knows that God might save some of them. Just like God did in Philippi a decade earlier with the Philippian jailer. And so he takes full advantage of his circumstances. This captive audience, literally, that he has. And he doesn't see this moment as a stumbling block to the spread of the gospel. Instead, he sees this as a stepping stone for the spread of the gospel in a way that Paul never could have imagined. And what happens? Well, verse 13 tells us that the entire imperial guard and beyond the imperial guard, the entire imperial guard comes to know about Paul's imprisonment. And they come to know about the gospel. Never in Paul's wildest dreams 
Would he have imagined that he could reach the, the very heart of the Roman Empire, not just Rome, but Caesar's personal bodyguards and his household? And God has a different plan. That's exactly what the gospel does. It's the talk of the barracks. It's the talk of the mess hall. The word of this Jewish carpenter from thousands of miles away is discussed at pagan dinner tables in the hearts of the elite of Rome. What's more, we actually see in Philippians 4, I think it's verse 22, that Paul tells us that, that they're not just talking about Paul. They're not just talking about what's going on, but actually some of them believe in the gospel right there. In the heart of Nero's empire, the gospel has taken root. Paul longs to go to Rome to preach the gospel. And God says, yes, but you're not going to the synagogues. You're going to prison. But if you are faithful to me, in those circumstances, I will use you to save some from the gates of hell in Caesar's house itself. Now consider again your circumstances. How might God use you in this moment right now? Good circumstances, bad circumstances. How might God use you for the spread of the gospel. Are you even asking that question? How might God use this moment for the furthering of his kingdom in my life? We might never know how God might use us right now in our circumstances, as challenging as they may be, for the sake of the gospel. Let me share an example with you that I read this past week. I was reading this book by Tony Merida, and he tells of Peter O'Brien. Peter O'Brien is an Australian theologian who served as a missionary for several years, and, and now he, he's written a number of commentaries, actually one on Philippians that I've been reading. And when he was young, he grew up uh, in this house. Neither of his parents were Christians. And yet, his next-door neighbor, this woman, uh, was, was a believer, and she had this incurable disease. And her suffering was very evident each and every day. And yet, through it all, she never complained. And her example, this neighbor, her example had this incredible impact on his mother. And she eventually became a Christian. And through his mom's conversion, Peter O'Brien eventually became a Christian. And after his conversion, he became a missionary. He went to India, shared the gospel there for several years. And then after that, he became a theologian, wrote all of these works, these books that have had this global impact for the gospel. Many of them are on my shelf. This global impact for the gospel. And we can trace it back to this woman who is a faithful witness in her suffering. What about you? Surely it's not too much to ask the same of us, no matter our circumstances, that we would be faithful to the gospel even in our suffering. Surely it is not too much to ask that God might use us right now to advance the gospel in our circles. Surely it is not too much to ask us to be less concerned with our circumstances and changing them than it is to be changing our perspective and see how God might use 
us? How might God use our circumstances right now for unexpected evangelism? But Paul doesn't stop there. He says there's another way the gospel is going forth. Verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So how is God using Paul's imprisonment? Well, first, he, he is allowing the gospel to permeate the most powerful household in the world, but also the church is being strengthened, isn't it? So not only is the gospel going out to the non-Christians, but also it is strengthening other Christians. God uh, is at work using Paul's circumstances for unforeseen discipleship. Remember, that passage we read from Romans earlier, Paul longs to go to Rome, Romans 1 verse 11, he tells us that he longs to go so that he can encourage and build up the church, that he can strengthen the church. I imagine never in a million years did Paul think that he would do that by modeling faithful gospel living while he is in prison. And that is exactly God's plan for him. And that's how God decides to strengthen the church through Paul in Rome. Now, apparently, the Roman church saw Paul's example in prison. They saw how he was emboldened to share the gospel, to be faithful to the gospel, and they were emboldened to share their own faith. This doesn't come from a place of bravado. If we look at verse 14, it's not this example or this mindset that says, hey, if Paul can do it, we can do it. No, it comes from a different place. It comes from a confidence in God's presence with them. Verse 14 makes it very clear. Paul says where this newfound confidence is coming from. It is confidence in the Lord. Paul's imprisonment may be the means that God uses to encourage them, to strengthen the church. It's It's not the cause, though. The cause is the presence of Jesus himself with his people. The church sees Paul, and they see him in prison, and they say, you know what, if God is present with Paul, even in those circumstances, then surely he is present with me in my circumstances. When I try to share the gospel with my neighbor. And their confidence in the Lord grows. The church is being strengthened. The gospel is spreading. Because God is using circumstances of suffering to strengthen his church. In the 1950s, many of us are, are familiar with the story of Jim Elliott and, and others uh, that went to uh, Ecuador to share the gospel um, to an unreached people group in the 1950s. They, they desired to bring the gospel to the, uh, these Amazon tribes, and they were actually killed before they had the chance to, to share the gospel with them, and, and we've seen in other places the story of how their death, their martyrdom, actually laid the foundation for others to come and, and share and bring the gospel to this tribe. But what's less known is what resulted from their deaths here in the United States. All five of these men who were killed in Ecuador actually came from Wheaton College. They were Wheaton College graduates. And and after their death, for the next decade or so, Wheaton College actually saw a number uh, of missionaries go into full-time service. That was an increase, and it was tied directly to the example of these five. These five graduates who laid down their life, who suffered for the sake of the gospel, led to others following that same calling 
to do what Paul says here, they were much more bold to speak the word without fear to the ends of the earth. And it could be traced back to how God used the suffering of these five in Ecuador. And again, what about you? We can't fathom the impact that we can make with our lives, no matter what the circumstances may be. Are are you suffering right now? If so, then suffer well. How might God use you in this moment to make an incredible impact in the lives of your friends and your family? We have no idea how God might use a faithful suffering in difficult circumstances to spread the gospel, to strengthen the church. But we can be assured that even these times, God is at work drawing people to himself. How might God use your circumstances for unforeseen discipleship? You see, the rest of our passage, this text, tells us uh, of the tensions that Paul experiences in Rome. The first few verses here, they they tell us about how his perspective gives him the the eyes to see how God is actually at work, even in his hardship. And and here, we see a, a much more personal challenge that Paul is facing. There's these tensions in Rome. The gospel is going forth, and yet at the same time, some of the people who are sharing the gospel, they're doing so from a place of petty jealousy, of selfishness, of trying to to platform themselves rather than the gospel, and that's taking place in the church in Rome. Take a look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. I so appreciate Paul's perspective here on his circumstances in Rome, especially because of these verses. Here is Paul, and he recognizes that some in the church, they're preaching, they're being faithful. He has strengthened them, and the gospel is going forth, and they're doing it from a place of pure motives, those who do it out of love. And yet at the same time, there are others who are doing this from a place of rivalry. They're trying to take advantage of Paul's imprisonment in order to further their own platform, their own ministry, their own agenda. And how does Paul respond? Notice verse 18. What then... Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. This comes from a place where where Paul's perspective, remember Paul's perspective, I am put here. He, He recognizes that his imprisonment It is not an accident, but instead that he has been placed here. And because of that, he is able to rejoice even when others are trying to take advantage of him. Even when others are trying to discredit him to to further their own ministry, their own uh, source of influence in the church in Rome. And the question is why? Why is Paul able to rejoice here even in this moment? It's because the name of Jesus is going forth, and that's all that matters for Paul. That's a good word for us too, isn't it? 
Perspective allows us to focus on God's glory, not our own. Perspective allows us to focus on God's glory, not our own. I don't, I don't have time to go too in-depth into these verses because we spent so much time on, on verses 12 through 14, but I'll just be really honest with you. Verses 15 through 17, they, they are very real for someone who is in vocational ministry. They are very real, this, this squabbling, this, this longing to make sure that we aren't forgotten, this, this desire to prove ourselves, it, it's very real, and it, and it, can, it can permeate into to those who are in non-vocational ministry in the church as well. And it all comes back to this, this perspective. If we have the right perspective that we have been put here, that this is a part of God's plan, then we are able to focus on God's glory, not on our own. Here's what I mean by that. If we don't believe that God has a purpose for our circumstances right now, in our seasons of hardship, if we don't don't trust that God is at work, that God has that plan, if we don't believe that even the most difficult of circumstances come from the hand of a loving and good father, then we will be tempted to do a number of things. We'll be tempted to prove ourselves to, to show that our circumstances don't define who we are as people. If we lose our job, we'll, we'll feel this deep need to prove that we are not a failure. Think of, think of Paul. Paul is in prison, and if he does not have this perspective that this has come from God himself, then he is going to be tempted to prove to others in the church that he's still got it. That he's still trying to, to work. That he's, he's going to feel threatened by the ministry of others. That he's losing this influence. But, because Paul sees that all things come from a good and loving God, then he can focus on God's glory. Not his own. And the same is true for us. If we recognize that all things come from the hand of a good and loving Father who cares for us more than we can fathom, We can trust that he's at work, that he's got a plan, that he wants to use us right exactly where we are, that our circumstances, they're far less important than how he might use us in those circumstances. And that's how Paul can rejoice. Not because of his circumstances, not even necessarily in spite of his circumstances, but instead because Jesus is faithful to build his kingdom. And so Paul is focused on God's glory and not his own. God's glory, Jesus at work, that's that's worth rejoicing in. You see, this is what this text is, is fundamentally saying. Your circumstances are not a stumbling block, but they're a stepping stone to the advance of the gospel. Your circumstances... They're not a hindrance to the spread of the gospel. They're actually how God plans to advance the gospel in your sphere of influence. If you will have this perspective. That's what we see here in these verses. What if we looked at our circumstances and reached the same conclusion that Paul does here? That these things... This season of life, it's not hindering the spread of the gospel. Instead, we're actually put here for a reason. And the foremost reason is the glory of Jesus, the spread of his kingdom into our spheres of influence in a way that wouldn't have been possible 
otherwise. Of course, this isn't guaranteed. This isn't something that is guaranteed. This question of whether or not we're going to have the right perspective, it really comes down to us actively looking for ways that God is going to advance the gospel right now. Will you let your circumstances be a a stepping stone for the spread of the gospel? Maybe some of us even have to ask, well, will I make the, the advance of the gospel a priority in my life? Or is that just an afterthought? It's very abundantly clear here in Philippians 1, that's the only thing that matters to Paul. The Philippian church asks him, hey, how you doing? And he says, I'm good, but the gospel is going forth, and that's why I'm good. He doesn't even talk about himself in this passage. I want you to imagine that God comes to you and, and says, hey, Jordan, or whatever your name is, that God wouldn't say that to you. He would, he would use your name. Jordan, I, I want, I want to, to do something in your life. I am going to use you in a way that would not have been possible to make an impact on your neighbors, to make an impact on your family, on your kids, in a way that never would have been possible without this season. Through your witness, through your testimony, God is going to use, I'm going to use you to bring people to faith in me. The lost are going to be saved by your faithful presence in this season. But you have to be faithful. And you have to recognize that you're going to suffer. And it's not going to be pleasant for a while. Could it be possible that God is doing that exact thing in your life right now and just he hasn't told you? That he hasn't told you, revealed to you how he is going to work that you have to look for it just like Paul did? I've had great joy the last couple of weeks just hearing stories from people in our congregation of how God is at work in spite of the season that we find ourselves in. Our, our congregation has told me how they are having the opportunity to build neighbors, that, uh, relationships with neighbors that uh, it was just a kind of a frigid relationship beforehand. Others have said that their family members more willing to hear the, the gospel because of the uncertainty of this season. Others point out that the friends are more willing to check out church because all you have to do is send them a link as opposed to the, the challenge of, of coming in person and all that baggage. How might God use this season and your circumstances to advance the gospel? How might God use your faithful presence Are you willing to pursue that perspective that sees this as something that has come from the loving hand of the Lord that you might advance his kingdom? William Cooper was a hymn writer in the 1700s. He he struggled deeply with depression and tried to take his own life uh, a number of times, failed each time. And at the encouragement of his friend John Newton, John Newton, um, if you don't know who that is, he was another hymn writer, actually wrote the song Amazing Grace. Um, William Cooper was encouraged to write this hymn. God moves in a mysterious way in this midst of this season of depression. And he was wrestling with this question of how could God use this suffering for his glory and for my good? 
How could possibly, God possibly use this season for his glory and my good? And consider the words of this hymn. I'm actually going to just read it all. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. You fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessing on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Your life might be filled with dark storms, clouds, the, the fruit of your life might taste bitter. It may seem like God is, is frowning at you, and yet his purposes will ripen fast. God can use this season of your life to produce much fruit for the gospel. Will you have the perspective to look at your circumstances through that lens? Will you look at your circumstances as a stepping stone for the gospel or as a stumbling block? Let's pray. Father, I ask that every single one of us would take the time this week to pause and intentionally look for ways that you are using this season or maybe you want to use this season. We just haven't been faithful. But how you would use this season for the advance of the gospel. The advance of the gospel in our family's life, in our neighbors, co-workers, friends. God, how you might use us for the spread of your glory. God, I ask for forgiveness for those of us who just haven't even thought of this, that we've been so consumed by our, our circumstances that we haven't even considered how you might use this for your glory and for our good. How you might want us to be the catalyst to, to share the gospel, to spread the gospel in places where it hasn't yet reached and it would otherwise be impossible. Forgive us for that, Lord, and help us to be a people who, like the Apostle Paul, say, I am put here. That have this perspective that this is something that has come from your loving hand. And that you can use it and will use it in a way that we can't even imagine. Help us to be faithful, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.